Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. First off, good evening. Hope you're doing well this evening. I hope. I, I love that song. Even I know there's different songs, whether or not I like it. That's not the barometer. It's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some songs that just communicate something so special. And whenever we taunt death and talk about how awesome God is and that he is our living hope. I tell you, that is the anchor of our soul. It's the anchor of our faith, the resurrection, the fact that Christ is not dead, the fact that he proved he was the Messiah, he was God, the absolute cornerstone of it all. And he is my living hope. And then to think how great that art, how great thou art, and uh, singing that song is feel special to me. It's my mom's favorite song. And when you hit that key chain, how can you not just say, thank God, how great you are. What a blessing it is to come on this Saturday together to worship the Lord, to be able to say, Lord, I'm intentionally, what it looks like in 2023, to be able to say, Lord, I want to draw closer to you. Lord, I want to do something in my life that, Lord, I want to be spiritually aware. What would you want me to know concerning your word? You've made that intention, and I appreciate you being here. Obviously, for some of you, this might be the first time you've seen my face, but my name is Adrian, as obviously it says on the little flyer thingy, but just so you know, I'm from uh, from North Carolina. For those that this is the first time we are meeting, and uh, from the beach side of North Carolina, but now for 15 years, uh, full-time, my family and I, we traveled the country and world, lived in a fifth-wheel trailer and traveled across in an F-550 and a 40-foot trailer across the country and um, and been able to say, that I guess, enough lack of better term, I, I'm pastor of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, at 16, I don't know what it looks like to give your entire life to say, Lord, I want to reach as many people possible in one lifetime for your glory. I don't know what it looks like, but I definitely want to be able to pursue with all my being. And the Lord's given me that grand opportunity, and now he's given me opportunity to have gospel influence at a rescue mission in, in Virginia to where I serve now. Now, the reason I mentioned a little bit about my testimony specifically is because in, a, in somewhat of a way, this, um, what I'm speaking on tonight, even has in a way just really a lot to do with that aspect of what the Lord's been teaching me. You know, sometimes, you know, even... Even yesterday, he's like, so how exactly, you know, about sermons and praying through sermons? I'll tell you, quite honestly, here's the insider tip. Maybe it's the wrong way to do it. I don't know. But I'm telling you what the Lord's speaking to me about. That's really what I do. And currently, uh, if you were here yesterday, the Lord put up the biggest idol. I mean, just be honest, the biggest idol, domesticated idolatry was Adrian. <laughs> and the Lord's like, like you, you want your will. You want your ambitions. And, and many times, you, because your ambitions might be honorable sometimes, doesn't mean that that is the ultimate goal. God is our ultimate. He is God. And he means it when he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Even my well-intentioned plans come under his control. And tonight, it's another one of those aspects as well, but I want us to think about it. Um, I'll tell you a little bit uh, about just where, how I, this, this kind of began going inside of my mind, and then the pastor can be looking at. Um, when I was in college, um, 
went to Pensacola, and when I was there uh, my freshman year, I, my job was working at the print shop. Now, for some people, that is cool to, to be able to do a job that's in one spot. I have a hard time staying in one spot, and so even when I talk, I, I move. When I'm on the phone, I move. I'm moving all the time, and so I remember two years into it, they gave me the opportunity to have a different position. It was called being a floor leader. It's the idea of, I don't know how to put a residence manager or somebody who's in charge of a, of a group of guys just to make sure that, you know, the college wants to be accountable and stuff. So it's this position. And I remember for the interview, they sat me down with the dean that was there. And, and he, you know, again, I really want the position. And I come in and he, I sit down and he says, all right, I want to know what are exactly your strengths? Why do you think we should consider you for this position? It was a position that worked a lot with people and interacting with guys specifically. And I said, well, well, I, I think I think my probably my biggest strength is, bro. I love people, man. <laughs> you know, I really do. In every class I went, I got I met every single person in my little square. You know, I I love people and I want to help people, man. So I think that's my strength. He's all right. That's, that makes sense. And he says, "How about this? We want you to be honest. Tell me your great weakness. Your greatest weakness, if you had to play it, play it down. What's your great weakness?" All about for a second, I said, "Well." I love people, <laughs> and, uh, and more than I like to admit, I care what they think. I know many people say, I don't care what anybody thinks I'm going to do, and the very declaration of that sometimes shows forth that actually you actually do care. You don't really verbalize the things that you don't think about. You don't, put, you don't even take time to put into words. So if I am consistently letting everyone know that I do not care what they think, it probably is an indicator that I probably do care more than I actually am giving on. As I was thinking about this, um, uh, I, in my life specifically for 15 years, I mean, preaching internationally, nine months, in, three months in Central America, nine months in the States, and then the Lord began a new season in my heart of now changing over, and I'm not going to lie. The thought that went through my head is, what do people think going to think? I mean, I have a lot of, I mean, I'm behind 50 pulpits a year, you know? Like, <laughs> what will they think by this change? You know, this is interesting. It's a passage that I want to show you tonight. And I only have one point, and just so you know, I, that's very typical. I only have one point to get to it, but the point that I have is only three words. <laughs> it's going to take me a minute to get there. But I want you to see this one point here. We're going to be tonight looking at the book of John, chapter number 21, a passage that has many times you could read over very quickly, but I really want us to expand the thought of what is taking place here in John 21. Just so you have some context of what's happening in this passage is that this is after the crucifixion fiction and resurrection Lord Jesus Christ as the resurrection has just happened you many of you remember before Jesus went to the cross Peter was there and he was denying that he knew the Lord I always thought that Denise, uh, Peter kind of denied, like, quick, right, rapid fire, denied the Lord. But actually, there were spaces of time between them. He was in one location, went to another location. Like, it was almost like, I mean, this wasn't like, you know, I made a bad decision on a flip. I mean, this was like he had time to think about these times he denied the Lord. And many of you, many of you know that in that final time, that third time when he denied the Lord, he looked up and he caught eyes with Christ. You could imagine the embarrassment that he had. Now, from what we can tell in Scripture, that Peter and Jesus have not had a one-on-one -on -one discussion about that incident. Now, have you ever had a something between you and a friend, and you know you need to talk to him about it? And 
it's not seeming the right time. Maybe you're in a position where everybody's in the same room at the same time or whatever it is, but you've never had that moment where everybody exits, it's just you and them, and you need to address the issue that you know is between you. I'm sure Peter felt like this after the resurrection. I mean, the last discussion that you had that you were got to stare down because you just denied that you even knew who Jesus was after following him for all these years, I'm sure that locks inside the mind to some degree. Well, resurrection takes place. He goes fishing that entire story. As they're fishing, Jesus is on the beach. Then has, you know, the whole thing about throw your nets on the other side. Peter looks out as they're bringing this huge, uh, this matter, these fish that are bringing in. He looks and he says, that's Jesus. He jumps out and swims out to Jesus. I do not know his motivation, but you can only imagine that he wants to talk to Jesus one-on-one. I mean, it makes sense. Why not wait for the boat to get to shore and then get out and say, hi, how are you doing? Apparently, he wanted to talk to Jesus alone. Well, he does. Over breakfast, fish fry that they're having here, it's an interesting story. I want you to see it. John chapter number 21, verse number 18. This is right after the conversation about, Peter, do you love me? And I'm not going to read that passage. That's not what I'm speaking on. But he's already affirmed that he loves Jesus three times. Then in verse 18, the story continues. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt surely stretch, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breath at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. And Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Such a quick little passage, but a lot happens that I think sometimes, ooh, I'm going to trip myself, but that I think sometimes in my life that I feel is my retort to God wanting me to do something in my life. Let's look at this here together. Let's have a word of prayer as you begin, all right? Lord, I do thank you for the Bible. Thank you for what you teach us. Lord, we've looked at making sure that you're in your place. Lord, we don't want there to be any type of domesticated idolatry. We don't want to be any type of thing that would make our attention be directed away from you. And so, Lord, we're asking, Lord, for us to focus in. I don't know where people are in the spiritual journey, Lord, but I just know that um, surely can't hurt to share what you've been teaching me. Pray that you just empty me of myself, fill my spirit to say the things you'd have me to say. In Christ, and you pray it all. Amen. So here's what happens. He gets there to shore. As he's there, they're having the time, they're eating. And then many of you that have written the scriptures know the story about Jesus and Paul, Jesus and Peter having a discussion of Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes. Then Peter, do you love me? And I understand all the intricacies that happen, and that's not the point, but basically for three times, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you, right? After he finishes exclaiming how much he loves him, Jesus, I mean, yeah, how much Peter loves Jesus, he, Jesus does something very interesting. Jesus then, in verse number 18, prophesies that Peter is going to die a martyr's death. Now, many believe that he was crucified upside down or whatever it was. Just here's the point. 
that Peter was not going to be out picking flowers one day and have a peaceful death. It wasn't going to happen. He was going to have a violent death. He was going to have a death that was what we would consider to be martyrdom for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, interesting time that Jesus brings this up. I mean, what are you going to be like? Uh, let's, let's, let's run that again, you know? He just said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, you're going to die for me. Oh, that's kind of heavy, you know? Like, oh, really? Took the breath out for a second. Lord, this is not the plan <laughs> that I was thinking. Now, as Peter then acknowledges the very tough reality that he has in verse 19, and this, it says, This spake he signified by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, his instruction, he says, you're going to die for me, but listen to my instruction. It says this, follow me. That is very key here in verse number 19. Now, Peter knows he can't retract what he said. He is not going to repeat the rooster situation. And so what is his next thing he does? He begins to look around at the rest of the disciples. And you see, him and John got this thing going. You know, we can't pretend these guys had halos on their head, friend. Remember James and John arguing, their mama even got involved, uh, who's going to be the greatest? Like, I, I'm just saying, like, basically, let's not pretend that all of these people just love Jesus supremely and everything was awesome. Peter comes in, and him and John always kind of seem to have a little bit of the thing going. So she, Peter looks up. He's already known he's got to do something hard he doesn't want to do. So here is what he does. He looks around, and he sees John, and he asks this, is he going to die too? <laughs> I mean, he's going to die, right? Like, I mean, if I'm going to have the old, then <laughs> I'm sure John's on the same level. You know, we're the ones at the transfiguration or whatever it is. And then it's like, Jesus, Jesus takes this, and we're going to get to this in a second because I, I do want you to follow the story. But Jesus, the Bible says in verse 20, Peter turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says, because John doesn't, John is the writer, and John never uses his name. He, it's so sometimes it can get lost because it says, see the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, which also leaned on his breath that suffered. That's John. And, and Lord, which is that portrayed thee? That's John. It's a very long way of saying it was John <laughs> that he was looking at, right? And so now as he's doing it, I want you to see, just as we go through the text to get to this one point, that do you realize that Peter just sucked the air out of a special situation by doing one thing? comparing his situation to somebody else's. You know the quickest way to ruin anything special in your life? Compare it to somebody else's. You want to hate your marriage? Compare your marriage. Want to hate your kids? Well, compare your kids to others. Want to hate your house? Want to hate your job? Want to hate your life? Then consistently compare it to everyone around you. You see, at this moment... Peter should be enjoying the moment. Jesus is having a, he's having a conversation with his resurrected Lord. Jesus is saying to him, Peter, it's okay. He didn't say, let's bring up that rooster thing. He didn't do that. You're having a conversation. It's in the past. It's been forgiven. Take in the moment. And instead of taking in the moment, 
he ruins it by comparing it. I, I preach a lot to teenagers, right? And as I do teen camps or whatever it is, a lot of times I would, I would preach messages, you know, about, because I'm a techie and different things like that, so I would preach messages and series of messages on, on tech, make sure you're using your tech to glorify God, how to use these tools, whatever, whatever. And then it came to me, you know, about social media, and I was I'm like, you know what's interesting? I never really preached to adults about this. But you know, the crazy thing is, it's like, if there's not been something in our world today that has made us become the greatest comparers of all time, tell me that it has not been social media. Tell me that it has not been that I have a wonderful vacation with my family, I come back and I sit on the couch, and I look on social media and find someone who had a bigger trip, a better trip, a more expensive trip, a more elegant hotel, a more wonderful experience, and suddenly everything I enjoyed is now here. And some people live their entire existence void of anything wonderful because they like Peter. What about them? What about them? You know, as you consider seeing it, it's um, when I would go to churches, and again, it's really hard for me, not no way to divorce myself of where I've, as far as ministry and the Lord's called me, even though I'm working this new position at a rescue mission. And, you know, I, I came to, I think it took me about five years in ministry before I just stopped doing this. Sometimes I show up the pastor, pick me up at the airport, or he picked me up in his car, or whatever it is, and we're driving to the church. And uh, here's a question I stopped at answering. Here it is. I'd be like, so where'd you come from? Oh, I was in such such church. How did it go? I stopped answering the question. I'd answer it very vaguely. The reason why I stopped answering the question is because if I said something positive, one of two things would happen. It would be either criticized or it would be contested. I had a great meeting. I mean, the people were so friendly. They were so kind. And I mean, it was just, man, I, I, I tell you, our family just enjoyed it. I tell you, I really believe the Lord moved in our midst. Oh, they're friendly. We are friendlier. <laughs> we're like friendliest, friendliest, friendliest people. On the, it became a contest. You just ask me how, I, how it went. It becomes a contest or it becomes criticized. Oh, yeah. You probably had nothing spiritual. You probably just are there just to be like a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, pep talker guy or whatever it is. I mean, uh, it's just kind of like, could anybody on the planet just enjoy something special and it be okay? But no, not in a comparison culture. Peter obviously shows forth this comparison culture. So, so let's keep on reading. And so it says, Peter seeth him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Then it said, Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So it starts, it starts now, and Jesus kind of gets his attention, and he's like, hold. He look, we're over here looking at John. We're looking at what he's going to do. He said, look at me. Look at look, Peter, if I choose that John stays alive till I bring my kingdom on this earth. That's my business. You know what he's reminding him? He says, I'm sovereign God. Peter, why, why, why are you trying to stick your nose into something God 
allows what he allows. He is the one in control. See, it it goes to the story um, that goes against, you know, capitalist mindset, right? Is this that story about the, let me make sure I get it, in Matthew 20, about about the pennies that were handed out to the workers, right? In the morning, here's some workers. In the afternoon, there's some workers. Everybody's working, right? And as as everyone's coming in the, the day, payday, all right? And then he gives out the pennies to these different individuals, whatever it is. I'm sure many applications, but many people are like, oh, I can't believe it. Paid everybody the same, and usually our minds jump to socialism, whatever it is. Here's the point. You trust the master. <laughs> God can do whatever he wants <laughs> with what is his. See, the odd thing, though, about it from a guy who lives out of the country for, for a good chunk of my adult life in and out of the country, it's so odd because the people who live in the most affluent nation on the planet are the ones who speak of this the most. It's like, wait a second. Right? Here we are talking about how, wow, they have, wow, they have, wow, they have. Like, I mean, this is an odd statistic, but I don't think you can argue it. Like, name the countries in the world that people die from having too much food than not having enough food. And that country is the one who states, we don't have enough. I wish we could have more. Like, isn't it the epitome of irony, right, to some degree? But when you see it in this context, here with Peter and Jesus, Jesus is reminding him who he is and remembering that Peter is here, and he's letting Peter know. Just so you're clear, Peter, Jesus does not say that John is going to be alive to the kingdom. He says, if, I be, if it's my will, if that's what I wanted, that is what I would do. Jesus reminds him of his sovereignty. But keep on reading. If I he will to tarry till I come, what is that to thee? He says it again. Follow thou me. Interesting. Verse 23, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. The disciples, John. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he, John, shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Hmm. So, obviously, Jesus Peter had this conversation. From what we can tell in Scripture, it's just Jesus and Peter. That's all it's have this conversation. So a rumor gets started. Only two people have the conversation, Jesus and Peter. Don't think Jesus starts to lie, right? So just thinking by process of deduction that Peter is the one who started a rumor that was a complete lie. So what does Peter do? He's discontented that he doesn't like God's sovereign plan, that he's going to die. He can't retort it because he can't say, God, I'll do anything, and then God says, do this, and he don't want to do it, right? He can't go there. So where does he go? He goes to another form of discontentment, and that is comparing it to his other cohorts. So here he is comparing. So he walks over to where the rest of the disciples are later on that day. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, Thomas? Hey, Thad. What's up, man? Good to see you guys. Hey. Um... Yeah, I was over there talking to Jesus. Yeah, we had a good talk. Y'all got all that straightened out. Yeah, we got all straightened out, man. You know, um, I got a prayer request for you guys. Just something to think about. Um, I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but uh, Jesus gave me something pretty heavy, you know. He told me I was going to die. You know, I'm going to die for the cause of Christ. I'm good with it. 
I'm good with it, you know. Took me a minute, but I'm good with it. And, uh, but not John. Oh, y'all didn't know? Oh, y'all didn't I didn't know y'all didn't know. I didn't know y'all didn't know, right? Uh, but yeah, John, yeah, he's going to like, you know the whole kingdom thing we're waiting for? Yeah, he's going to be alive till that comes, you know. I mean, I'm just saying, Jesus is the boss. What can I say? He can do whatever he wants, right? But I'm, come on, Peter. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? He starts this rumor here that, Pete, that John is going to be alive till the kingdom. And as this is all going down, in a way to show his distaste for what God has asked him to do. You know, it's, it's obviously pretty underhanded. It's pretty sickening to some degree. But as you see this, how many times has God asked me something? And I show forth my discontentedness in alternate ways that still work on paper that I'm serving him. You know, as this has gone in, I, I want you to highlight something before we get to the one point, and we'll go today, is verse 19 and verse 22, that is here. Jesus, at the end of verse 19, when he has spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then in verse 22, Jesus saying, if he will tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You know what Jesus is consistently telling him? Like, it was what was said in the very beginning. Peter, just follow me. You know what happened to Peter? He became so frustrated about comparing that he missed what God had asked him to do. And the busyness of trying to serve Jesus, he don't even do what Jesus wants him to do. <laughs> and Jesus repeats it again. Follow me, man. That's what the main objective follow me um you're probably familiar with the term distracted driving right and it's interesting because here's a definition of then distraction you know for being on the road or whatever it is how long i have and stuff and what there are i eat and drive a lot of times as i'm heading down the road and there are some meals that are not made to eat and drive with you know I love a Chipotle bowl, but, bro, it's a little tough to get that bean, bur get bean burrito up there. You know what I mean? There are some things that are harder. Fries, you know, you can do your thing, whatever it is. But there are some things that are harder than others. It's not a problem to eat. It's not a problem to drive. But here's what happens when it's called distracted driving is this, is when that which is primary becomes secondary. When you're behind a wheel, what's your job? Drive. When something overtakes that, then it's a distraction. If my Chipotle burrito comes more important than taking my turn, we have a problem, right? This is the very definition of where Peter was in distractions. What was primary? Follow me. But what are they doing? What about John? What about them? Are they going to feel the same pain I feel? Are they going to be able to get the same fruit I get? Am I going to be as famous as they are going to be? Is this going to be? Like, literally, is all the thoughts happening in one little story. He's like, you're getting distracted. Your main goal is to follow me. One point. It's only three words. But Lord's teaching Adrian, run your race. Just run your race. 
See, here's what happens. When I get my eyes off of my race, I fail my race. Sometimes I get consumed with other people's races, what they're doing and how they're doing it and how effective they are. See, this is where I began to dissect inside of my mind, well, what's the difference of comparing my race versus, you know, trying to implement ideas? See, I can, I can w- walk around and ask people, hey, how can I become better in running my race? But see, here's what happens is sometimes I try to run other people's races, and then I beat my head on a wall. I don't have time to do anything. I'm so stressed out. Oh, my goodness, I just can't do everything. I'm just here. I'm here. I'm there. Listen, God has given you enough time to do everything he wants you to do. So if you are beating your head, your head against a wall because you have too much to do, the problem probably is you're doing something that God ain't told you to do because <laughs> God's given you enough time to do everything he wants you to do because sometimes we, re- we want to run someone else's race because it looks cooler. It seems like they get more likes if you put it in social media terms. Seems like it becomes a little bit more amazing on this side. You know that also run your race, but also God has a plan for every moment of my life. I don't care what stage of life you're in. God still has a plan for every year of my existence to give him glory. Sometimes it's easy just to be like, well, reached out to this point right now, so did my time for Jesus, and here I am now. Hold up. My race might not look like it used to look, but I still have a race to run. And the race I run does not need to be compared to yesteryear. It doesn't need to be compared to everyone else who seems to be like gifted out the, yeah, in every single way. I just need to run my race. That's how it came case in point for me. <laughs> I believe with all my heart the Lord's steps and led me to the mission I'm at now. They had a camp that they run. Um, they bring young people from the community who cannot necessarily afford camp, usually economic situations, socioeconomic situations that are difficult. They bring them into camp and uh, able to have a week of gospel influence with them and doing it for years. So when they introduced it and different things, they were telling me about it, and, and they said, hey, we're going to need your help with running camp. I'm like, all day? You know, I've been preaching at camp for 20 years, man, like all day. <laughs> And I remember as we were preparing for camp, they didn't know me. They don't know much about me. They just know that, hey, we got this new guy coming in. And so when they had their initial talks of handing out the jobs and responsibilities, they said, um, we're going to have Adrian be the cabin cleanup guy. <laughs> cabin cleanup. Sir, I've, or I've, 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 I promise you, man. I, and I remember in that meeting, I'm like, uh, brother, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to tout myself, mister, and I called his name. I said, I'm not trying to tout myself, but I, I, I really have been at a lot of camp settings and, and different things. Okay, that's good. But I think we're going to have you be the camp cleanup inspector. Oh, that was hard. My daughter was there to keep me accountable. <laughs> I remember she saw me as I was pacing inside, and I'm like, I'm going to go to a week of camp, and I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to do anything. 
my involvement will be that. And I was pacing the floor. I looked at my daughter, and she said, Dad, what does this mean? And I said, this means that these kids are going to have the most awesome cabin inspector cleanup that they've ever experienced. You know why? Because that's my race. That is my race. I didn't say that was an easy thing. Who was drinking? That's swallowing really hard. <laughs> but do you know what I find? Is that sometimes my race might not look as awesome as I thought, but I never can let that which is secondary become primary. My primary goal, follow him. Run your race. Can I just say that whatever situation or what stage of life you, you find yourself, that you will truly do it? You know, because um, pride will get involved. And one of the statements I have to remind myself often is, God, you have to, you'll notice when I pray I say this phrase, I say, God, empty me of myself. You know why I say that phrase? Because I am full of myself, and I know it. I want what I want. No, I do. And I have to, I have to every single day, <laughs> tell the Lord, God, please empty me of me. This is maintenance to be able to submit to your will. Not because one time I surrendered at 16 to preach and never have this thing to let my pride get in the way. No, it's a daily thing. I'll say this and I'm done. I, there's a guy who came to our church. And just like anybody else, I have preachers that I admire and that, I'd use, that have God has used greatly in my life. And I'll leave the guy's name out of it. Many of you know him. It's just it's not helpful or whatever. But he... And me and him are friends, been friends for years and years now. And he is what people would call a popular preacher, like a very well-known preacher. Uh, I did have a relationship with him, and I still do. And one of the pastors I was out to eat with one time, um, we were just chatting about different people and different ministries and different things. And over lunch, he got the impression that um, because that gentleman's name, that popular preacher's name came up. And so I thought, hey, this is a cool time. I didn't bring it up. But, you know, I inserted in the conversation that I knew him, and we had been friends for a while and stuff. And so we were kind of chatting about that. But I guess in the midst of the conversation, he got the idea that I was in some way comparing myself as far as preaching to this guy. And, no, I, to this day, I don't know why he thought that, but he thought I was. I remember what he told me. He said, Adrian, now you, you, you might be a pretty good preacher, but you will never be a, and he called the man's name. <laughs> oh, I have pride just like anybody else in this world. But do you know what this run your race has taught me? I don't need to be him. That's not my race. Many times it's like, oh, I'll show you. What did he do? Show me what he did for Jesus. I'll double it. That's what happens. It becomes a contest. That which is secondary becomes primary. I become distracted. You know what my job is? 
I'm a development director of the Peninsula Rescue Mission, have gospel influence, and if God gave me opportunity to preach the word and gospel opportunities, I will preach it. That's my race. And there's peace in just running your race. Can we ask God to help us enjoy the race that he has asked us to? Let's bow our heads and hearts together. We ask at the beginning of this week, word of God speak. I mean this weekend, word of God speak. Word of God speak. That's the goal, word of God speak. Yesterday, we really highlighted the fact of God. We want you to have first place. Now, we want to focus in on, hey, now that you give God, you've given you first place, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to run the race you've given to me with joy, not distracted. Can we have a time, just of reflection and prayer? Embrace the awkwardness of silence, and let's talk to the Lord about this matter. And then I'll pray and turn things over to pastor. God, you have blessed me so much. And sometimes I can't even see it because I'm so busy comparing it to everybody else. For you've been exponentially good with physical blessings. I know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I know I have what I need in my family. For you have been so good. When I have spiritual blessings, I know I'm saved. I know what you say in your word. I have a full canon of scripture that I can choose and study. Lord, you've given me a sound mind to be able to learn more about you. You've given me the health to be able to walk around and tell other people, God, God, you've been good. Forgive me for taking the special things you do and comparing them. that allow me to run my race. Lord, allow the folks that are in this church to take their eyes off everybody else's race and place it on their own. May we run it well. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you allow inside of our life. Lord, even for the difficult things that you allow in Peter case in your sovereignty we will rest in your grace for difficult things you have asked there are people in this room who their race is tough they have a physical ailment that's tough they have a spouse who doesn't believe and it's tough they have kids here wearing it's it's tough it's, it's been a it's a tough race maybe be faithful in their race pray that we will honor you in our race Pray, Lord, we be glorified. You be glorified in what we do. We don't take for granted, Lord, what you have allowed and an opportunity we have to gather on this Saturday evening. I do pray that word of God speak, and as it does, I pray that we would now listen as we go from here. We thank you so much for everything you've done and all that you will do. In Christ's name we pray to amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. So let's run our races, uh, your race. 
Thank you for that great message tonight. Tomorrow we have more revival messages at 10 o'clock and also at 6 o'clock. So please make plans to come out to each of those. Thanks for coming out this evening. Have a great night. God bless.